worship upstairs, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. This will continue us in our Advent series as we prepare for Christmas, as we've gone through faith and hope and love. Last week, we saw John the Baptist as a symbol of hope, and the people came to him with their hopes, with their longings for a better world. And today, Jesus answers a question for some of John's disciples. And perhaps last week, as we were so steeped in the hope that John the Baptist brought, this week I invite you to pay attention for how much hope does John the Baptist have in this moment when he's no longer baptizing in the Jordan River but now finds himself imprisoned by Herod and is maybe holding on to hope. Maybe hope is trepidatious at this point. And also pay attention in the question that John asks of Jesus. How does Jesus respond? And do you hear love, the love of God, in the response that Jesus gives to John's disciples? Pay attention for these things as we celebrate faith, hope, and love. But before we read God's word together, let us pray for God's blessing upon the word. Let's pray. God, we have faith that you can speak to us today through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We have hope that you will continue to be at work in changing our hearts and our lives, that, that our actions and motives may be purified by you. And Lord, it is with great love that we come together to the gift of your word, and it is also with a longing that we may love well, that as you gave us signs of love here on this earth, and that as you showed us what love, what self-giving, self-giving love was upon the cross, that we may be also faithful disciples of signs of love. Lord, with faith, hope, and love, we come to your word, knowing that with faith, hope, and love, you approach us. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John's, John the Baptist's message was contagious and compelling because it was a message of hope and not just a naive optimism, not just wishful thinking, but what John proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit was meeting the people's hopes for a better world, a better life, for fullness and wholeness and restoration. Because the people in, in John the Baptist's day, they came to him with hope for, for no more disease, no more poverty, no more sickness and death, no more oppression, but fullness, something better than the life that they had right now. So they could come with all of their fears, with all of the brokenness in their world, and they could come to John and to hear that there was a Messiah who was coming, one who would make things good, and not just good, but eminently good, the highest form of good, John preached to that hope. And the hope that he spread among the people was contagious. We are just like those people who went out to see John. Because we have hope. We have an awareness of things that are wrong with this world. We've experienced brokenness. We've experienced pain. And in all of this, from time to time, we have tasted hope. Hope that would stir within us to keep us going. Now, last week, we closed by um, having you write down uh, something that you're hoping for, either, either very personal or, or very, uh, very broad, either way. And some people took their hopes with them because hope sometimes needs to find an action step, not just wishful thinking, but to hold on to our hope, to let it spur us forward. And other sources of hope were left in the pews to be shared because hope is contagious. I had the great gift this week of reading through all of the things that were hoped for that were left here and hearing a few stories of what was hoped for that actually found an action step. In all of the different hopes, a few themes emerge. And we've just strung them up here to remind us that, that it comes out of faith, hope, and love that all of our longing extends out. I also couldn't help but to bookend these, because I'm keeping them, um, with the illustration cards are at the first and the back spots. Um, and so the first hope that I even saw that was right on top was for uh, fluffer duffers, and there's a picture of a duck, 
So somebody is hoping for more ducks in their life, probably the Dimblakers. Um, maybe not all the Dimblakers, I don't know, but someone is. Um, and then the last one is a hope for unicorns. Um, so we kept the illustrations at the front and at the back. Throughout all of the hope in between, from fluffer duffers to unicorns, there's five themes of hope that emerged. A prominent one was the hope for healing. Another was for virtues. Another related to healing was for relief, not for total healing, but just for relief, a cup of cold water along a hard path. A fourth is provision, hoping and trusting that God will provide. And a kind of blanket category at the end of hope as a whole different myriad of things that we hope for, for our families. I want to just share a little bit of the heart of this congregation that I sensed among those five categories. The hope for healing is one that I think we often long for because we're so often confronted by sickness and death and the deterioration of our bodies. And the amount of people that were hoping for Nick Stott and Kara Kuman to be back here, not, not because we're after them for church attendance, uh, we understand why they're not here, but, but to see Nick and Kara here is this, it's this reward of hope. I see this every time someone has a major surgery and the first Sunday that they're back, the first Sunday that they're back in the narthex, and there's just this swell of joy that takes place because our hope for, for healing and restoration has been met, and it is so good to have those whom we love back in our fellowship. It's the same kind of anticipation, though differently manifested. It's the same type of anticipation that, that I see and experience every time I stand here next to a groom as the bride comes down the aisle. It's this hope, this hope for something good. Those hopes for healing are tied to the hope at the end of Revelation, where in Revelation 21, we were told that when Christ returns like a bride beautifully dressed for the husband as the city comes down the new Jerusalem, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. This is the substance of our hope, and it is met because the picture that God paints for us of what God's end game is, is good. It is rooted in God's love. Our hope in Jesus is made manifest in God's love. The other category is those of virtue, common virtues for allow me to be more patient with my kids or at work. Allow me to be more calm. One virtue was allow me to listen better before I talk too much. This is also a virtue. For some in this holiday is prayers for relief, the hope of relief. To quote uh, one of the hope cards, I hope that depression and anxiety will not steal away all of the joy of Christmas. Not a hope for things to be completely gone, but for a moment of relief to experience hope and goodness 
to see those thin spaces where God's great love for us shines through, to have just relief. Others, for relief and healing linked together, I hope to see a cure for cancer in my lifetime. Others are prayers for provision, for daily bread, the unemployed hoping for the new job to come together, the underemployed hoping for something to change to make life a little bit more sustainable, and some hoping just for a different job because although this pays the bills, it's not working. So I'm hoping for a change. Our hope gets deep, very fast. And then a myriad of hope for family, linked to virtues and for relief. Our hope for our family to come to know Jesus, our hope for our families to forgive each other, uh, hope for my own nerves to not get the best of me with my family during this holiday season. Healing and virtues, relief, provision, family. Friends, our hope is, is deep and it is wide. And I want to remind you today that your purest and highest and holiest hopes are worth hoping for because they are met in the precious and perfect and abundant love of God. Not always in the time or way that we want them, but today we're in the season of Advent when we are remembering Jesus' first coming and the hope that was had there, and we are also in expectation waiting for Jesus' second coming, when Christ shall return and make all things new, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, no more hunger, no more sickness, for the old sinful order of things will have passed away. Friends, our hope is deep, and our hope takes some imagination Sometimes we have to imagine a different world than the one we have right now and to ask Jesus to show us that. It takes some imagination, which is why I did keep unicorns in the list of hope, to remind us that sometimes it's a childlike faith and a childlike imagination that will paint for us the best picture of hope. But we long to see broken things redeemed. And sometimes it's easy to hope for from a place of confidence, and other times, depending on what's going on in your life right now, hope can be hard to come by. I think that's some of where John is at, at this point in Matthew chapter 11. John, as many others did, had faith that there was a Messiah who would come and save the people from their sins, a Messiah who would redeem them. John had faith in that. And John had hope that this was going to happen in his lifetime. And John had hope that he was preparing the way for the one who was the way. John had that hope and spread that hope in the expectation that it would be God's love sent down from heaven that would be the continuation of the hope that John had. But that was when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan and people were coming out in droves from all over the countryside that even the Pharisees and Sadducees could not keep their noses so high but to turn over and to see what was happening in the Jordan River. 
But now, from the best of our scholarship and, and reading of God's Word, at least a year since John baptized Jesus, John is now in prison. And the hope that John spread might not be resting so steadily in his own soul. And so, John, he's in prison, but he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the one that we were hoping for? Are you the one who comes with God's love to change the world? Are you that one? Or is it going to be someone else? I, I hear a very personal hope in John, that hope needs to stay alive to know this is the one who was to come. It seems that the, the memory of, of the Spirit of God descending on a dove and hearing God's audible voice say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, the memory of Jesus' baptism has faded because John has been sitting in prison. How does Jesus reply? Jesus really never gives a yes or no answer to a question. So if anybody ever tries to force you into just that simple binary yes or no answer and question, just remember, Jesus like never did. Jesus hears John's question, knows John's heart, and instead tells John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus doesn't directly say yes. Yes, I am the one. But he links it back to two different Old Testament passages, two reminders that Jesus is doing the things that was prophesied that the Messiah would do. And the first one we heard with the Advent wreath reading. It's from Isaiah chapter 35. And if you have a Bible with uh, really small pages, it's easy to flip past. In Isaiah chapter 35, we hear this vision that the feeble hands will be strengthened, the knees that give way will be steadied, and those with fearful hearts will be told, be strong and do not fear, your God will come. And then how is this shown? How is this demonstrated? Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, the burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. This is a picture of not only healing and restoration, that, that Jesus is telling John's disciples, this is exactly what's happening. These are exactly the things that I am doing. And even the references to, to the, the burning sand becoming springs and pools, that there is refreshment in the desert, goes beyond just the symbolic idea that God will refresh and sustain us through the hard seasons of life, but is also evidence of, of God's love for the whole world, even for the creation, because the world that we live on is God's creation, and he loves that as he loves us that there will be restoration and fullness, that even the, the dry places will be places of abundance. 
This is the message of, of God's love, communicating all of it. And also Isaiah chapter 61. This is the other reference that Jesus makes. And, and maybe we're more familiar with Isaiah 35 and those signs. But, but hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from, the dark, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Those who grieve, those who mourn will be comforted. This is from Isaiah and also sounds a lot like what Jesus taught. So in a certain simple sense, Jesus does not say yes, and yet he clearly and unequivocally says, yes, I am the one who you are hoping for, and you'll know it because the deeds that I perform are deeds of love, because they're deeds of restoration and redemption. Because I'm showing you that God has not given up on the world. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on any of this. And I am here to show God's love and restoration and redemption to the world. From those who are, are feeling depressed and anxious to the poor to even the deserts themselves will receive water. So Jesus does answer yes. And... Part of why this is prophesied is because Jesus is doing the things that are known to be impossible. No one could do the things that Jesus was doing. They were all miracles. But Jesus adds one more thing. Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I hear that as a little bit of a challenge to our own hearts because maybe you can identify with John the Baptist Maybe life has been good and there's been times where you've hoped with confidence and maybe this season is not one of those. Maybe it's been a long road and maybe it's getting hard to hope for the things you hope for. Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me or depending on your translation, fall away. The Greek word is skandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal from. And it's essentially, don't, don't let me become the thing that you stumble over or miss. Don't let, the, don't let the scandal take away from the direction that this is all going. Don't miss the bigger point and picture that I am that one. Perhaps one of the biggest questions that we have to our faith and one of the biggest ways in which our hope is jeopardized is the scandal that comes up in our own heart of, I, I want God to do this, I'm hoping for it, I have faith that God loves us, and yet it's not happening. And we wonder, Jesus, are, are you going to do this? Is this going to happen? And what if it doesn't happen the way I want it to? John's story does not end well. He gets beheaded. Not all of our stories end well. Our prayer quilts remind us of that often. 
And yet Jesus is reminding John, I know that you're in prison. I know that you've lost a lot. I know that you have paid tremendous price for your faith. Do not stumble over me. Do not stumble over me. But stand firm with the faith and hope that you have that my love for you and my love for the world is abundant. Do not stumble over me. Don't trip over the message. Don't let the circumstances of life make you trip over the bigger, greater, and unchangeable good news. I don't know whose hope goes with which people, although, I mean, I'm not dumb. Sometimes I'm like, I know what row this came from. I don't know every single one, but I do know that sometimes our hope is good. Some people are just hoping for a Michigan blanket for Christmas, and others are hoping for some relief in the midst of divorce. Don't let the circumstances of life, though they are significant and real, don't let them make you stumble over the good news that our faith and hope are met with God's great love. And those signs of love that Jesus did, they're signs. You notice that Jesus healed people and there's still sick people today. Jesus raised people from the dead. They still died later. Jesus did all of these things because they are signs. Because Advent is a season of hope and expectation. The substance, of course, is met in Christ. But, but every sign that Jesus did was not to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the eyes of the blind and there will never be another blind person. No, we still live in a world with all of the things and tragedies. But every sign that Jesus did is a foretaste of what is to come. It is a, it is a, a waypoint. It is a sign pointing to a greater reality. Now, Jesus heals those with leprosy so that they are clean. They can go into the assembly of God again. Jesus lets the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak and the lame walk. Does all of these things. And there's some things that we know different today than what we do back then. And, and I want to make a careful point here because I think it is actually very relevant to us here at North Holland if you know much about the deaf community, you will know that deaf people don't really care that they're deaf, like at all. Um, and that for a majority of them, they've created a community where I'm deaf, so what? You're ugly. Um, I mean, that, that's almost kind of the attitude you get. <laughs> you can talk, good. I can sign, um, whatever. From what we know of disability today, and what we learn from Jesus, that, that, that Jesus and God doesn't throw out punishments on people for, well, you've been bad, so you're going to be blind, or your parents are sinful, so you're going to be deaf. That's not how that works. Remember, there's this beautiful episode where Jesus' disciples come to him and say, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus is like, will you cut that out? Neither. This was so that God could be glorified through what I'm about to do. Don't ascribe the meaning there. From what we know, both of disability today and from what we learn from Jesus, that we all reflect the image of God, we can agree that there is nothing intrinsically wrong with people who are deaf 
blind, lame, mute, diabetic, depressed, dyslexic, anxious, asthmatic, or hypoglycemic, or any other thing that you can come up with. There's nothing intrinsically wrong. Yet we can also agree that even if you're none of those things, you're still something. Even if you're none of those things, you're still not perfect. Your body's not perfect. Your family isn't perfect. Your relationships aren't perfect. But the signs that Jesus did are signs that point us towards perfection. That our faith and our hope are going to be met with God's love. One of the things that I dislike about my physical body the most, in fact, the thing I hate the most, is that, is that I have asthma. Because it's annoying and it's sneaky. Um, and it makes me feel weak. On Wednesday, I can, like, you know, school a bunch of fourth and fifth graders at basketball, and I look pretty tough doing it because we lowered the hoop and I got to dunk on them. Um, And then I'm, like, walking away all cool and thinking, I really need my inhaler right now. Where did this come from? So I just turned the corner, and then I knew I had one stashed in the pulpit, which I knew wasn't here because we were setting up for the Christmas program, so it was in the hallway. So I turned the corner and, like, ran and grabbed my inhaler out of the pulpit. There's none here, so I'm just really hoping for no surprises today. But now you all know where the backup is. Don't hide it. That's mean. But I hate having asthma because it's this limitation. Now, it's not a disability. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect me in, in horrible ways, although it was God's fail-safe to make sure I didn't stay on the farm because the dust would kill me. But I really wish I could just breathe fully all the time and never be surprised or taken off guard. And maybe it's God's way of humbling me that I shouldn't school children at basketball. But I do know what it is to breathe fully, to have this this perfect breath, to the days when I was a, a wilderness camp coordinator at Inspiration Hills Camp in Iowa. On the mornings, I would wake up and climb to the top of Lookout Hill and breathe in the beautiful morning air And it was the clearest, purest, cleanest breath that I could take. And I think about how that breath is this foretaste of the kingdom that is to come when every breath will not only be that good but better. I don't even know what breathing looks like in heaven, what we use our respiratory systems for. But I know that it's not just at the coming of Christ or at the time of my death. It's not just the absence of asthma, but it's the greater breathing, nothing like I've ever experienced before. I know that it's not just that there will be no more blindness, but for all of us, the visions of rapture that will burst on our sight are bigger and better than anything we've ever seen before to the point where we will think, we will think back and think we were all blind before. I know that Jacob Feek will hear things in heaven like he's never heard before, but I know that all of us are going to hear things, the praises of God in all of God's splendor and kingdom like we've never heard before because our vision of hope is so much bigger than the absence of what is bad on earth. It is the highest and greatest hope of God's love and restoration and fulfillment for us that fills up our hearts that, my friends, there is something great and glorious coming after this kingdom. So Advent, when Jesus came to this earth, was the sign and hope and pointing to the kingdom that is here but not yet fully here. But when Christ will return, he will make all 
all things new. And this is worth hoping for. So friends, the limitations that you have, the things you're hoping for, hold on to them and trust in God's love. Don't let the circumstances of life let you stumble over the truth of God's gospel. Hold on to it firmly. And also, everything that you enjoy and experience in the beauty of this holiday season, if you get relief from depression or anxiety just long enough to soak in a beautiful moment, or if your time with family is what you look forward to more than anything else, please soak that in and know that even the best experience on earth is only meant to point you towards heaven, towards the greatness of Christ's kingdom. When like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and there will not only be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, but the world will be fully good for the fullest measure of God's love will be evident and dwelling among us. Enjoy your time with your family and know that it's pointing you to the communion of saints in which we shall share of Christ's kingdom today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.